Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. Romans chapter 6. If you're familiar at all with Romans chapter 6, it's kind of a, uh, a mixed bag, and today is going to be that way. It is not, a lot of it is not fun. A lot of it is not good news. But at the end of the day, if those things that aren't good news, things that aren't fun are avoided, then we're, we're just keeping our head in the sand. We're not addressing what real life looks like. And we want to do that because we think Jesus is, is trustworthy in all of the moments. And so uh, I guess hang in there with me because we're going to be honest about some hard things. I'll start with this. As Christians, this is kind of my, my theme of this year, maybe, we frequently prioritize the inconsequential things in life while overlooking the genuinely vital aspects of our faith. We have a, a pattern of hyper-focusing on things that don't actually matter too much, and then we don't actually focus and value on and study and learn and live into things that really do matter significantly. And we're going to talk about that. Specifically, here's what we're going to talk about. Far too frequently, we treat sin as if it's like candy. You might get a toothache or maybe a beer gut or something from it. When in reality, it's like a deadly cancer. It's significant. It's something we need to take seriously. And I don't want to make light of, of cancer, that's real, that's significant. There's so many people I know that have endured that or are enduring it or processing it or have lost loved ones. So I don't wanna downplay this, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or dramatic, but to the degree that as a society we take cancer seriously, the scriptures say that is the degree we should take sin seriously too to that same degree, and I don't think we do. Again, I think we treat it like candy. Like, ah, you have too much, you might get a little sick. It might impact you for a little bit of time. But the scriptures are very clear, more so than cancer. Sin leads to death. Sin is deadly, it kills, it destroys. And it's something none of us can actually escape. We'll get to the good news of all of this in a little bit. I think we fear cancer a lot more than we fear sin, if we're honest. And why, why is that? I think it's because we believe in the power of cancer. I don't think we necessarily believe in the power of sin, and so I, I want to spend time talking about what sin is, A, and then B, what sin does today. So it'll be thrilling and exciting. You're so glad you're here. First thing, I want to talk about what sin is. Sin is not a rule book. It's not a list. Sin is a violent living organism. Sin is alive and moving and seeking to kill and destroy. And that matters pretty significantly because it's not stagnantly just sitting there. You don't have to just like magically run into it. It will find you. And if you don't address it, 
if you don't take the, the proper steps, if you're not realistic about its impact, it will be devastating. It will harm you and everybody around you more than you can imagine. Oftentimes when we say sin, I think what we actually think of are our sins. Again, like, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, don't want what your neighbor has, tell the truth, all of these kinds of things. Those, though, are not what sin is. Those are what sin produces. And it's a really important thing to separate. Those are the product of what this cancerous thing called sin, this, this parasite-like reality within us called sin does. It's deeper than just a bunch of actions that we're supposedly not to do. It starts within and then it spreads out. The Evangelical Theological Dictionary uh, said it this way. I'd quote whoever uh, said this, but I have no idea who said it. It's too hard to figure out in these dictionaries, so you could look it up if you want. It says this, though. It can be thought of, sin that is, as a malignant personal power that holds humanity in its grasp. And if we could just leave that up for a second, is that how you think of sin? As a malignant personal power. It personally dislikes you. It personally wants to destroy you. It personally wants to take who it is that God has creatively and brilliantly and uniquely made you to be and warp and distort and harm and destroy that. It's not a neutral reality. It is a malignant personal power that holds, grasps, pins you down, and will do everything in its power to not let you go. I'm willing to bet that most of us don't think of sin like that. We don't take sin seriously, but that's what, what sin is. Now let's look at a number of things that I think sin does. Some of them will be really familiar. Some might be kind of surprising. The first is this. I think sin whispers settle to us. As you go through the, the everyday stuff of life, slowly and subtly sin will whisper in your ear, in your mind, in your heart, how you think in your head, to settle, to settle for less. Sin will tell you to be just an okay dad. As long as you're not abusive or absent, Watch any TV show, and that'll tell you you're better off than most. So it's okay to just be mediocre. Or as an employer or an employee, we don't need to pursue excellence. Just, just be average. Be good enough as a neighbor. You don't have to be the, the best neighbor on, on the block. Just don't be the worst. These are the kinds of things that sin speaks and whispers to settle. I read a, a tweet this week said this, dads, let's put as much as we can into our kids. Time, truth, touch, training, encouragement, fun memories, challenges, prayer, grace, rites of passage, discipline, reward, care. I love that picture. That's not settling. That's thinking in a, a multifaceted way how to give a lot. It doesn't mean you make, uh, you, you hit at every at bat, you make everything right, you're always winning. No, but you're giving this effort. 
I think we so frequently settle in our humanity for so much less than Jesus has called us to. And the beautiful thing is it's not our work to go do. I don't want you to go feel pressure that you have to be perfect now. You don't. But you have the Holy Spirit of the almighty living God alive within you to go be the best that you can be. And he's a God of excellence. Of all people, as Christians, that's what we should be pursuing. Not to settle, but to recognize that God made you uniquely. God knows every hair on your head and he's placed within you unique skill sets and desires and passions and and ways of thinking and resources and relationships. Go live that out. The things you do and the relationships you have, don't settle. If you find yourself settling, sin might be influencing you in these moments. Next on this list of, of things that sin does, sin leads to bad eyesight. Sells visions of glory that only end in pain and brokenness. It clouds our thinking and vision, and it corrupts how we see. So we think we're seeing what is true. We think our vision is accurate, when in reality we're seeing something blurred, something distorted. Psalm 14.3 says it this way, all, so you and I fall into that category, have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. This is what sin does, it corrupts. Creates this illusion of strength and and beauty and resilience on the outside while on the inside there's decay, corrosion, weakness, rotting that will eventually lead to death. I like to, to think of what sin does in this way. Sin sells quick fixes that come with hidden fees you can't afford. I'll say that again. Sin sells quick fixes, and most often they feel good and seem good, but they come with hidden fees that you cannot afford. And eventually, if you keep going back to sin to get the loan, you will be bankrupt. Your life will break you apart, or sin will in your life. In every category of sin, it's not higher sins and lower sins. Again, sin isn't a list, it's a sickness, it's a disease. Mishandling the truth, We won't just catch up with little kids that we want to be honest, that we'll catch up with adults over time. Because at the end of the day, when we manipulate, lie, distort the truth, what we're doing is breaking down the most basic foundation of what God created us for, relationship with him and others. And so when we mishandle the truth, we're actually seeking to be like God and to be in control and to influence rather than to seek the best for others. That's serious. And so a quick fix, like, oh, if I just tweak this a little bit, if I just sell it this way, if I package it right, I'll probably get this out of it and it won't hurt anybody. Eventually that quick fix will have a hidden fee that you have to pay. And later the payment you make will be much higher than dealing with the truth early in the moment. The hidden fees that that come with sexuality outside of God's intent, those hidden fees are substantial. And in every category, a sexuality within marriage distorted from God's design, a sexuality outside of marriage apart from God's design. When you read the scriptures, you you clearly see, and Paul says this, that our our sexuality is deeply intertwined to the core of who we are. One of the, the greatest mistakes that we make as Christians is we separate our bodies, our spirits, our minds. God does not do that, it is one. He made all of it. And so hidden fees come in all kinds of ways and and places and times. Next on the list. I can tell you're all really excited about this sermon. (laughs) 
Sin drives shame. Maybe some of you are feeling that in this moment. It's pretty natural. Sin drives shame like stakes into the ground. I went camping just a little bit ago and we put up the tent and then we drove some little stakes down so that the tent would not blow away. And when we got done with this trip, I went to take the stakes out and I couldn't get them out. And then I asked my brother-in-law to help me get them out and he couldn't get them out. He's like, those are staying there. I'm like, you're right. That's not worth the effort. That's the goal of sin. The goal is that it stakes you down so that you won't go somewhere very specific. Shame will, will be filled within you like a balloon with air and then sin will just stake it right to where you are for one specific purpose and this is key. Happened in Genesis three. Adam and Eve sin for the very first time. They reject God. And guess what? What happens? Two things. It's really powerful. It happens in your life all the time. It happens in my life all the time when, when sin gets to me. Number one, God comes to us in our sin. And then number two, shame causes us to run and hide. This is what shame does. It drives stakes down so that you won't repent. You won't return to God. It'll tell you you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You better fix it on your own first. Go take care of this and then see God about it. And it is a big, bold lie. God says, no, you're messed up. I know that. You don't need to do anything about it, but come to me and I will fix that because the quick fixes come with too many significant hidden fees. Shame is powerful and holds us down. Shame and guilt are different. Shame is about our identity. Guilt is about things done. Jesus can handle the things we've done. We need to pursue him with our identity. That's what we just sang about. I am a child of God. That answers every question we have. Next on our list. This one's kind of unique. I think it's, it's really important though. Sin deceives to make Jesus look dreadfully boring. I actually think this is one of the most substantial ways that Satan is working in our, our country, in our world right now. It sounds kind of, kind of dumb or like it wouldn't be that significant, but when he makes Jesus and the way of Jesus look boring and he casts a, a vision of everything else looking better that's dishonest, the, the impact's significant. I was uh, in a, a course a number of years ago, and we had a, a guest speaker in this course, and he, he owns a really large events company. They put on like PGA Tour championships and tournaments, uh, all kinds of events with incredibly expensive cars. They do Coachella, like large-scale events. And everybody in this event company, when they're working, they have a, a shirt, has the company's name, and then their slogan. And it says this, don't be boring. And I love that. I'm half tempted to make that the slogan of everything because we miss it. Christianity looks boring sometimes because we might think our Jesus is boring. And that little lie, that whisper of sin is, is devastating. It should be truly the opposite. Jesus is the creator of all that is good, the best music, the best art, the best technology. I love when my, my kids, they're pretty funny, they'll be like, hey, God created the sun, right, Dad? I'm like, yeah, and God created the earth, yeah. Well, who made cars? And we'll talk about that. I'll go like, well, God made people. And he made them uniquely and creatively and driven with ideas, and 
God made people to make cars. God made people to make all kinds of things, music, art, technology. It all comes from God. God is the creator of all that is the best. This goes back to why we shouldn't settle. Growing up, we'd, we'd go to the, the beach in, in California sometimes, and as we'd park or, or walk up to, to the beach, you'd get close, and you could like hear very distantly, just subtly, the crashing of the waves. You could smell the salt, and you know you're close. And as you take those kind of last steps up, before you can see the ocean and all the sand and the crashing waves, there's almost always this like little small trickle of water entering the ocean and it smells kind of funky, and it's warm, and there's sand, and there's salt, and there's water, and as a tiny little kid, you could be ignorantly tempted to be like, this looks like a blast. We've got our towels, we got toys, we got our family and friends, let's just park here. We came here for sand and water, it's right there. And little does the kid know what he's missing out on just a block further. All the sand, all the waves, all the beauty. Not the muck, not the smell, not the lukewarmness. And this is what sin does when we view Jesus and his way of life as boring. We settle. We take a distorted, lesser version of what God has declared as good. And we give up on what he's actually offering. Next on our list. Sin constantly coos to be the managing partner. Here's how a coup is defined. It's a sudden, violent, and unlawful seizure of power from a government. That's what sin wants to do to you. To take over, to drive what you feel, what you think, what you desire, what you fear, and ultimately, most importantly, what you actually do. Where your feet go, what your tongue speaks, what your mind thinks, what your ears hear, what you do. Nate recently suggested to me that I would like the, the show in the, this television series called Suits, and he was right, it's, it's entertaining, and I've watched a, a portion of it now, and there's a, a really clear theme. It's about this law firm in, in New York City. Basically, every five or six episodes, there's some type of coup from people within this law firm, law firm excuse me, on who will become the managing partner of the firm. Like every five or six episodes, like clockwork, someone will create some kind of conspiracy, whisper this behind someone's back, to try to become the managing partner so that they have the authority, the ultimate voice, the decision-making. And sin is doing that exact thing to you constantly. Behind your back, subtly without you knowing, trying to take over to become the managing partner of your heart, of your soul, of your mind, and maybe most importantly, because I think this is the part we neglect, this is the coup part, it's behind the scenes, it's sneaky, our bodies. I think we neglect the connection from our body to our heart, to our soul, to our faith. We're gonna read about that in Romans in just a minute. Sin wants to be the managing partner of your hands, the work you do, the deals you make, to be the managing partner of your eyes, not just what you see, but how you interpret it. Same with your ears, your feet, your mouth, what you speak, everything. And if we don't do something about it, sin will lead you. And where it leads you, 
you will not like. Romans 6, as I mentioned, talks about this. I want to read verses 12 and 13. Paul writes to a church of people following Jesus this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your what? Does he say in your relationship with God? No. Does he say in your spirit? No, in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not let it reign. Do not let it take over. Do not let it become the managing partner. And do not offer any parts of it, of what? Your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. There's a deep connection. We'll continue to, to, to work through this today between our body, our mind, our soul, our heart. They are not disconnected realities. Next on our list, sin enslaves. It pins you down, it makes you captive, it chains you up. Back to to Romans 6, now in verse 15, Paul writes, same chapter, what then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death. It sounds like Paul wants us to take sin seriously or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. And having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves, your body, as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them, what, the parts of your body, as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. This slavery can come in many different forms, in the the form of addiction, in the form of being trapped by your own choices, and come from having to, to hide, pretend you're not something that you actually are, or pretend you are something that you're actually not. It comes in the form of being permanently stuck on this endless, fast-paced treadmill of achievement and success and selfish ambition, identity crisis. Look at what Romans says next. We'll, we'll go to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the end of it all, this is our last thing that sin does, sin leads to death. Death of relationships, death of our bodies, death of joy, death of all things. Make no mistake about it, sin seeks to kill. We read it in in 1 Peter 5, 8 as well. Be serious, Peter says. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Notice Peter does not say be afraid. And he doesn't say be ignorant. So in between fear and ignorance is alertness, seriousness, recognizing the power of sin yet not fearing it. Similarly, in in John 10, 10, Jesus writes about this. 
A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that they may have life and life to the full. The evil one and the sin he brings with him are here to seek, kill, and destroy. Back to the beginning, not to give you a toothache and a beer gut. But I think that's how we treat it. We don't take sin seriously. Maybe, maybe sin has led you to embracing a, a sexual norm or ethic outside of God's norm. Maybe sin has caused you to manipulate or lie. Maybe it's caused you to be relationally lazy, not to give the best of yourself to your, your spouse or your children or your parents or anyone else you're in a relationship with. It's caused you to settle. Maybe sin has caused you to work endlessly, obsessively, pursuing your career and image and dollars and ambition, grasping for control to be like God. Maybe sin has caused you to hoard. Hoard your time. Hoard your listening ear. Hoard your voice when you know it's time to speak up. Hoard your resources, your skill sets, all for you, grasping instead of generously giving. And sin is smart and knows which part of our body to attack first. And it'll spread from there. If that's a little bit overwhelming, I, I hope it is. And the scriptures have more bad news. You can't do anything about it. We can't do anything to overcome our sin on our own. Sin is a violent living organism. Now we get some good news. But Jesus has never lost a battle. Sin whispers settle, but Jesus made you and saved you and leads you to excellence. Sin leads to, to poor eyesight and blindness, but Jesus gives sight to the blind. Sin drives shame like stakes, but Jesus is the relational healer. Sin deceives to make Jesus look boring, but he will make his true self known. Sin constantly creates coups to be the managing partner of everything in your life, but Jesus has promised to never lose you. Sin enslaves, but Jesus frees. Sin is deadly, but Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered Satan, and Jesus has conquered sin. And so every part of bad news this morning leads to one thing, Jesus. And that there is hope in his name, though we need to take sin seriously. So what do we do? What is our part? I'm going to go back to, to Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it, your body, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from dead, here we go, offer yourselves, meaning your bodies, to God. And all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. What is our role in this? To offer 
our bodies, all of us, to God and to let him work and heal. To offer is to genuinely present something for use. It's not like if you, uh, you go to lunch and you say, hey, let me pay for that, and you never pull out your wallet. It's not like going to lunch and saying, hey, let me pay for that, and, and pulling out your wallet and, and setting it on the table to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm serious, I might pay for lunch, but never touch it. It's like going to lunch and saying, I'm going to pay for that. Here's my credit card, and you make sure that the waiter takes your money. That is offering. That is intentionally saying, I want to make this happen. It's not pretending. Again, to offer is to genuinely present something for you. So in this case, we don't just give lip service. We go, God, here I am. Take not just my life, not just my soul. Take my hands. Take my eyes and how I see the world, my mind and how I think my feet and where I go, the spaces I I walk in and and drive to, even in our our sexuality, in our mouth and how we speak, are there parts of you that you don't offer to God? Do you only pick and choose what you offer to God? Maybe you're really good at listening, but you don't speak up when the Spirit calls. Maybe you're really generous with your finances, but you hoard your space and you don't invite those with different opinions in to just say, we love. And God's given us all different skills and abilities, gifts to be given, and so we're not all gonna do everything, but we're called to present all of ourselves to God to be used how he sees fit. As we close, we're gonna do that now and this might be awkward or uncomfortable that's okay I think if we're not doing awkward and uncomfortable things we're probably not doing anything of, of value so I'm gonna lead us in a, a time of prayer it'll, it'll take probably I don't know five to ten minutes you can just do this on your own I'm gonna say some things to lead us into to praying to offering and presenting ourselves our body to Christ Because the solution to sin, as Paul says, is to offer ourselves to him and to let our king, our savior, our Jesus do the work within. Go ahead and feel free to to close your eyes and, and pray on your own. I don't care if it's out loud or in your mind. Let's start with our, our heads, our minds. Take a minute to let whatever thoughts that come into your mind arise. And don't worry what they are, whether they're good or bad. Just whatever you think about, think about it. Let them sit there. Let those thoughts come in. Don't impede them. Then give them to Jesus. In your own words, ask Jesus to be the primary influence over the thinking in your mind recognizing there's countless influences trying to be the primary influence in your voice, in your head, and how you think. Now we move to our, our hearts and maybe consider facing your palms up, symbolizing a healthy vulnerability and giving spirit. 
Give your greatest desires and fears to the Father. Whether they're good desires or bad desires, don't worry about that. Whatever you desire, whatever you fear, you don't, you don't fix it first, just present it to him. Let him handle those things. Let him lead what you fear and what you desire within your heart. Feel free to express gratitude for his provision, provision excuse me, for the desires of your heart. Also feel free to lament and mourn things that are broken and not the way they're meant to be, that you've endured or are enduring. He hears you, he sees you, he knows what's happening in your heart, he cares deeply. Remember, he loves you more than you could ever begin to love yourself. As you think about your hands, those hands represent the work that you do, whether you actually work with your hands or not. It could be your paid vocation, it could be people you care for, homemaking, it could be creative work, whatever it is, take time now to thank God for the skills he's given you. The work you have, even if it's not something you enjoy. Ask him to use your skills to create, improve, and maintain in order to bless those around you. Ask him to use the work of your life to be a preview of his coming kingdom. Now transition and take a few minutes to think about your space, the places your feet frequently go. Your feet lead you into a home, into a workspace you engage in hobbies, wherever it is. Maybe start with where you live and, and pray that God's presence fill that space and bless it. Then extend your prayer to the other spaces in your life. Think about the houses near you or homes, the people you work with, the grocery store employee you see, whoever comes to mind. Ask that God's presence go before you wherever your feet walk so that he might be known and glorified, his love felt and experienced, his power encountered. Now consider your stuff. laying aside what you want and instead being grateful for what he's given what he's allowed you to work for and ask the spirit to help you to honor him with what you have since he is the provider of all of it in the first place lastly we move to our sin a moment to reflect on this past week. Where have you left the path of God's design for your humanity? To be really specific with which parts of your body, things done or things left undone. 
Again, this could be related to the desires of your heart, the actions of your hands, your handling of your resources and space, your sexuality, your relationships, and your own words as the spirit to give you awareness of your own sin, to let you see it and know it. And then ask the spirit to do the work to create with you a clean heart and a renewed spirit. about what you do. All of this is about what he has already done and what he's going to continue to do. Go ahead and open your eyes. I'd love to, if you're, you're willing, to pray together uh, a prayer we've, uh, we'll put on the screen. If you're able, I'd love for you to stand and as, as we close to pray this out loud as one voice. Father, Thank you that you love us more than we can ever comprehend. Jesus, give us hearts to feel what you want us to feel, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and eyes to see what you want us to see. Cause us to be concerned with what you want us to be concerned with and to let the rest fade. Spirit, help us to trust you with our minds, our hearts, our hands, our space, our stuff, and our sin. Be our guide through the beautiful and the mundane steps we take each day this upcoming week. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.